Promise no promises. Going to the limits of your longing. The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series. Going to the limits of your longing, research as another name for care. This collection of episodes emerged from a master symposium held in spring 2021 at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel. The contributions to the symposium were devoted to ideas and forms of artistic research that center art as a practice in service of the social. They revisit certain moments in our recent history and present of researching, producing and exhibiting art in the name of such beliefs, namely social justice. Once upon a time, or just a couple of decades ago, women artists from various and diverging geographies began to query and study the gap that has traditionally existed between artistic and non-artistic labor. As artistic labor came to be understood as more representative of society's functioning as a whole, new questions concerning the political dimension of art and the role of the artist in contemporary society came to life. Research has often been the term applied to the act of inquiring into the post-colonial past and neo-colonial present, an inquiry whose very substance gives voice to the need to revise the fundaments of our unachieved and fragile democracies, their languages, tools, forms of violence and myriad legacies. The symposium was dedicated to the memory of Marion von Osten, the artist, curator, researcher, writer and teacher whose curatorial, theoretical and altogether empathic approaches to the medium of exhibition making revolved around artistic research devoted to the collective. Under her exemplary influence, we examined the moments when exhibitions became filled with archives, with documents of testimonies and documentaries of testifying moving images. Institutions suddenly saw the need to create collective collections. It was the beginning of a transformation that, since then, has undergone many turns and many faces, but that remains at the core of understanding art as a practice that serves the social and all the forms of justice, and its opposite, that enumerated. With contributions at the symposia by Maria Teresa Alves, Ursula Biemann, Regina Bittner, Barbara Casavecchia, Anja Kirschner, Kabuani Kawanga, Maria Lind, Otto Bongkanga, Lydia Urachman and Miriam Amrun, Filipa Ramos, Kerstin Starkemeyer, as well as Yvonne Volkert and Peter Spielmann. Joy, by writer, curator and educator Barbara Casavecchia. In this episode, Barbara speaks about the work of artist Alex Martinez Rowe with excerpts from her video, a story from Circulo della Rosa from 2014, as well as from Becoming Public Among Ourselves, a text written by Barbara about Alex as part of the volume Shapes of Knowledge 
published by Monash University Museum of Art and Parameter Editions in 2018. Today, I'm in, in line with the subject of the symposium. I thought I would like to read from a text that I put together a couple of years ago in relation to the work of Alex Martinez Rowe, who is a Melbourne-born artist. Now, this has been living in Berlin for many years and now relocated to Australia. And we met when she was having an exhibition at Arge Kunst in Bozen and then in Milan when she was doing research. She was at work on a series called To Become Two, which was a research into the genealogies of sexual difference theories and feminist practices. It then also became a book and a series of videos. So um, when I wrote to Alex to ask her if she was happy to share some of her videos, uh, she replied with a few lines that I wanted to share with you. So um, this is what Alex wrote me. And I think it's quite in line with many things being said today. So I think that the difference with the artistic research practices explored in this symposium is that while they engage with archives and documents, they do so without treating them as objects, but rather as fragments that bring us into contact with other people and their stories. In these practices, the stories, cultures, and people they come from are cared for, just as we care for the people we are committed to. The Comunità della Storia Vivente, which is Community of Living History, one of the subgroups uh, in the Libreria delle Donne in Milan, say that where there is limited archival traces, they can channel the stories of women in their female genealogy in embodied ways and make them a real relationship. Time is not linear, exclamation mark. I would like to start by sharing a, a fragment of To Become Two, uh, which is a story from Il Circolo della Rosa. My dear, I have been searching for stories to help explain the way I see our relationship. Stories from the history of the political practice of relations. It has led me to the places where the women who theorized it still practice it. I have been speaking with two women in particular and I found myself outside the building where they first met, trying to guess which of the shop fronts used to be the bookstore. They met each other there a few years after the yellow catalogue, The Mothers of Us All, a compilation of texts about women authors had been published. One of them had written about the Bronte sisters. She's the older of the two, and when they first got to know each other, she was already well known in their circles for her work on the pedagogy of sexual difference. They would see each other often at the Thursday meetings at the bookstore. Even though the younger woman lived in a different city, she would often travel to be there. 
Around that time, she heard the older woman give an inspiring speech on a two-year program she had implemented into the curriculum of a high school, where for an hour each week, all students were separated into female and male groups for a special class on sexual difference. She was very taken by her, not only because she was an important thinker and activist in the movement, but because she had so much elegance, grace and beauty. They joked that the younger one, coming from a peasant background, desired in some way to be bourgeois, and that is, in part, why she found the older woman so appealing. Sometime later, the older woman organised a seminar for teachers at the Centre for Educational Innovation and Experimentation on the Pedagogy of Sexual Difference. The building where the centre was located is now offices of the fashion house Dolce e Gabbana. The younger woman, coming from a communist family, was a scholar of Russian literature and at that time also a language teacher and began commuting to attend the seminar. As a condition of participation, teachers had to sign up in pairs. They had to bring someone with them. And since she was living in a different city, she had no colleagues she could invite. The woman who ran the seminar solved this problem by becoming her partner. Every Thursday night, after the seminar, they would walk together to the weekly meetings of the bookstore's new club, Circolo della Rosa. And after the formal discussions and presentations, she would sit opposite her at the dinner table and try to engage her in conversation. Her desire came not only from the high esteem in which she held the other, but because she was seeking a certain kind of political relationship with another woman. At first, the older woman didn't really notice the other's desire to form a special relationship with her. After some time, the younger woman showed her commitment to the project by organising to be transferred to a school in the same city as the Centre for Educational Experimentation and moved into an apartment shared with other women without telling her husband in advance. After all, she had been transferred. During the seminar, which was held in a library, they studied literature, reading for ways to make sexual difference visible and legible. The participants then integrated what they had learned in the seminar into their existing teaching curricula, adapting the ideas to whichever subject they were teaching. The younger woman engaged her students in analyses of the way gender is used in Russian and French language and gave them research projects on Russian and French female poets, artists, philosophers, linguists and political figures. The seminar, which ran for three years, along with their teaching experiments, established a very close relationship between the two women, and the younger woman became frightened by her dependence on the other. When she criticised her, she would feel it as a sharp pain in her stomach. In the years that followed, in addition to the weekly meetings of Circolo della Rosa, they, along with the others from the collective, would go for weekends to Monforte d'Alba, staying at the older woman's family manor house. There, they would have meetings and dinners, often with people from other collectives, 
working together on various projects and issues. They would also go for walks, exploring the countryside, enjoying the time with one another. Over time, the younger woman grew stronger and easier in their relationship. She was no longer dependent on the other woman's approval. They had entrusted themselves to one another, and the older woman had become her point of reference in the world, and in turn she had given the older woman the authority to do her work. Around this time, the older woman gave up teaching and focused on her true passion, history. She organised a working group on the historiography of sexual difference, which not only sought to create a history, but to examine the way in which history is told, and to establish a careful practice of storytelling. The younger woman hated history, the story of men and aristocrats. But in a move that showed the older woman the depth of her commitment, she joined the working group, dedicating herself to historical research. They both went on to write extensively on women's medieval history. For example, the younger woman worked on the history of a Belarusian abbess in the 12th century, and the older woman researched practices of love in the medieval era. She says the women's movement of the 20th century can find its roots there. Among the figures in her recent research are the medieval women of Monforte d'Alba, whose stories she tells weaved within her own and those she encountered over the years in the town. Now they work together on what they call living histories, starting with personal experiences that become history through a process of listening to one another. I met them there, where they still meet every Thursday, in the Circolo della Rosa. A curious thing before I end is that some years ago now, when I met with the philosopher of sexual difference, Lucy Rigoret, to talk to her about my interest in the architecture of encounters, she recommended that I work with a pedagogy of sexual difference. Meeting these two women has given that conversation a new sense, and I feel that perhaps now I have found a way of acting on her advice. I will now like to read become public among ourselves. In the autumn of 2018, the Galleria Nazionale in Rome, Italy's main public collection of modern and contemporary art, announced the acquisition of the archives of Italian feminist, theorist, activist, and art writer, Carla Lonzi. The occasion was celebrated with three days of debates, performances and readings under the banner, Women Out of Joint, and with a small exhibition. And three years down the line now, there is a very large group exhibition on women artists based on the archives of Lunzi, which is temporarily closed now, but is titled I Say I, and is curated by Cecilia Canziani, Lara Conte, and Paola Ugolini. And I really can't wait to go and see it as soon as doors reopen. But so that moment felt uh, historic given Lonzi's important role in the 60s and 70s, a role that has resurfaced only quite recently, thanks to a new wave of mainly female, I'd say, scholar, artists, and critics 
who reclaimed her heritage so that out of print and nearly forgotten writings became available again and were finally translated into other languages. And I'd like to quote the wonderful Giovanna Zapperi for doing a lot of work around Lonzi. In a vitrine installed in the museum lobby, an old black and white photograph portrayed Lonzi at a Milanese opening in 1968. Uh, she's standing in front of Sappho, uh, a work by her friend, um, Giulio Paolini. Lonzi smiles openly as if aware of the irony of the situation. She is a gifted art writer from the present, standing next to a legendary poet from the past, the quintessential emblem of the freedom to use words that convey love and desire between women. In the photograph, body language speaks up. Lonzi, dressed in a miniskirt, white leggings and high boots, uh, looks amused and self-assured in reciprocating the camera's gaze. Sappho, on the other hand, is portrayed by a male artist, <laughs> is forced to hold her eyes fixed on the ground while her plump nude bosom is offered to the spectator. Her image is in brief constructed to please a male gaze. And now I'll quote, man is always spoken in the name of the human race. We consider history incomplete because it was written always without regarding women as an active subject of it." Unquote. So proclaims the Manifesto di Rivolta Femminile, Manifesto of Women's Revolt, written by Lonzi in 1970, together with painter Carla Cardi and activist Elvira Banotti. Published as a poster in Milan and Rome, the manifesto were marked Lonzi's decision to quit her professional career in order to pursue a more radical authenticity of self-expression. Lonzi was at the time, one of the most remarkable art critics in Italy. Her experimental book, Autoritratto from 1969, self-portrait, written in the form of a group conversation with 14 artists that she recorded and then cut and pasted freely, I mean, together, had just marked a turning point in the field. It erased all distance between artist and critic, subject and object, high and colloquial language, art and life, hence dissolving traditional linguistic barriers. In another document from Lonzi's archive, which was exhibited at Galleria Nazionale back then, an unpublished and undated letter to Italian journalist, novelist, uh, Oriana Fallaci, Lonzi explains that her decision to quit was motivated by the realization that the price she was paying for succeeding was, quote, a more and more definitive silence about myself, unquote. In the same letter, Lonzi speaks of autocoscienza as a manifestation of the fundamental need for women to break the taboo against speaking. She urges Fallaci to practice it seriously and not only nominally in order to understand what it truly means and to achieve what others did with that care, caution, courage, concentration and isolation without which nothing changes. It's an excellent description, I think, of how the feminist practitioners of Pensiero della Differenza, philosophy of difference, tried to bridge the gap between theory and practice 
and find new lineages in the past and new words and ways of speaking together. Another key passage of the manifesto, let's unify the situation and episodes of the historical feminist experience. In it, women manifested their themselves interrupting for the first time the monologue of the patriarchal civilization marks, I mean, such a massive cultural shift. And in fact, I mean, it clarifies that it's necessary to resort to polyphony. In 1970, Lonzi moved to Milan as uh, Laura Le Petit, who was also another important figure because in 1975, she founded the publishing house Tartaruga Edizioni, one of the first feminist publishing houses in Italy. Uh, she recalls a moment and she writes, it was an unusual pleasure and a surprising discovery to see a woman use her intelligence and her passion for a cause, the women's cause in such a total and I would say happy way without ever losing a certain graceful irony that she possessed. After the meetings at her house every Thursday, we all went out for a bite at the same pizzeria next door. After a few months of this habit, a young waiter found the courage to approach Carla, who was sitting at the head of the table and ask her, but who are you? Choristers, she replied suavely without hesitation. Our future network uh, project by Alex Martinez Bro is the last chapter of a long choral research project to become two, culminating in six videos produced by the artists between 2014 and 17. During that period, Martinez Bro thoroughly studied a series of historical groups and collectives in the cities where they were formed in order to reconstruct a genealogy of feminist political practices in Europe and Australia. In the opening sequence of the Milan-based A Story from Circolo della Rosa, one of the videos that resulted from her quest, Martinez Rowe describes her discoveries as stories from the history of the political practice of relations. Through documents, meetings and workshops, the artist examined the experiences of Psychanalyse Politique in Paris, the women's bookstore in Milan, Duoda Women's Research Center and Caladona in Barcelona, the Sydney-based network involving the Sydney Filmmakers Cooperative, Feminist Film Workers, Working Papers Collective, and the Department of General Philosophy at the University of Sydney. And finally, the Gender Studies Community of Utrecht University. Our future network records the moment when, after individual filming, interpreting, editing, and writing about her encounters with the groups and their stories, Martinez Rowe decided to translate, adapt, transform, and elaborate the material she had gathered into a collective set of practices and to share it and test it with other women. For months, an initial Berlin-based group formed by feminist practitioners across various disciplines, coming from Germany, France, Italy, and Portugal, met regularly at the artist studio. At the same time, the artists kept developing participatory workshops in Barcelona, Milan, Paris, and Utrecht. Finally, in May, 
2016, she invited 22 participants of her international network to a house in the countryside outside Berlin, where they spent four days and practiced together the propositions that had been previously articulated by each participant in collaboration with Alex. In the video, we see them meeting inside and outside the house. We see them sharing words, experiences, discussions, narrations, silences, rituals, song, and many laughs. Each of them in turn becomes the narrative voice of each video by delivering a short speech that introduces viewers to each chapters or rather proposition, where a theme or abstract principle is coupled with a set of practical steps and exercises. The titles are telling. There is practice of public speaking, the practice of authority, writing as a transformative practice, and speaking, writing in the feminine plural, at which score lies um, the idea that language has to create its own grammar. So how to archive, organize, exchange, as well as transmit stories of others, past and present, is another crucial issue on the table, which is rooted in historical feminism. An example of Doing this can be found in the Libreria delle Donne, for instance, uh, publishing Le Madri di Tutte Noi, Catalogo Giallo, The Mothers of Us All, Yellow Catalog, a rich anthology of favorite female writers that have been selected collectively after long and very heated debates. In the proposition theory in more formats, inspired by the proceeding of the Utrecht community, a piece of academic work is staged as a play after its formal presentation in order to embody and situate it in a different context. Self-care and the labor of caring, motherhood, mutual support, as well as independence within a community of women are addressed too. To paraphrase a fragment of discussion from archiving relations, one could say that our future network inspired by the past, active in the present, and looking ahead for its next evolutions, attempts to build a living archive, a very different process from most forms of history making. History forms the basis of our understanding of contemporary reality. In weaving ties between different eras and radical experiences, Martinez Rowe clarifies that if it's true that history keeps on repeating itself, it is also true that it keeps on rewriting itself. It needs to be written anew and, quote, the way we do it is of the greatest political importance, as the artist says. As Marc Bloch remarked in his moving and sharp Apologie pour l'histoire ou métier d'historien, The Historian's Craft, published in 1949, after the author had been executed as member of the French Resistance, in 44, to the great despair of historians, men failed to change their vocabulary every time they changed their customs. And we know that patriarchal and heteronormative language is not very good at accepting changes in mores and customs, nor at acknowledging the necessity to reframe and reestablish our ways of thinking.
Autocoscienza then can become a spiritual, philosophical, and political exercise capable of regenerating language, reinscribing individual stories in the broader historical and social frame, and of generating awareness about the whole process. Martinis Rowe reminds us that it's time to use this tool again and possibly move on. And here is a final quote from Alex. Autocoscienza is not something you learn. It's a discovery. It's a birth. You feel as if having found the key to solve all your knots, to walk differently in life. But you need the strength and the courage of not losing sight of it. And it's hard. You have to come to terms with your own fragility, the needs you didn't acknowledge, the difficulty of facing the world differently without masks. And if you don't do it, you go backwards and you can't stand still, you know. So it's either ahead or backwards with the main difference that now you may know it. And I would like to stop here and, and ask that we see, and it's another really short fragment from Alex videos. Uh, it's titled Our Future Network and it's proposition number six. And it's about, well, speaking in public, which I think was quite fitting <laughs> with this occasion. Proposition six, the practice of public speaking. Public speaking is something that public life requires, but on what terms? We have no interest in learning the dominant tricks of the trade. What is needed is for each of us to devise our own technique and through a process of working together to become public first in our group. I had a conversation with my sister actually just the day before yesterday and we talked about uh, how we often in speech um, start saying I don't know or like try to relativate uh, what we already said before and I really realized that, that this is also a thing um, I experience more often with women than maybe with men and that that is maybe also a difference between being vulnerable in our speech which I think is a very positive thing but also being confident and that we have something to say. Yeah I mean my personal interest in it came out of thinking through what are these speech practices, autocoscienza and the practice of the unconscious and like all of these practices that involve um, speech within the women's group. And then thinking about, well, how does that then, you know, go out into other places? And I feel like it's a, just a skill that or a tool that we have to have in order to have public lives. This issue of, of sa safety it come up very strongly in your presentation. So you recreate a safe space for you to act out. And the problem obviously is uh, those speech practice is when women have to go out from the groups and, and, and then there was like the star, you know, who were more confident and become like the kind of, uh, you know, celebrity <laughs> feminist. And that was a problem, isn't it? And I think now we have to address that issue. We are, it's time to address the issue and think about about how to create that safe space that allowed us to, to be in the public and retain that kind of, you know, space where we can develop that. We have discovered that it might be necessary to shift our mode of speaking in general. It is precisely through becoming public amongst ourselves that we have overcome aspects of the fraught relationship between public and private. Is a difference, okay, so I'm just like how you publicly like actually is. Mm -hmm. no?
this was also a big uh, topic, how you find your personality, your identity in what you say and the way you manage to talk about it publicly. And something we did was also to look at models and the way to look at different figures and as well how to find your own personal way to talk. <laughs> I just think you're really missing out if you don't have children because they really enrich your life and they change so much over the years, whereas an animal is pretty much the same over the course of its life. You get to see this growing personality, conversations, they have their own interests. I can also talk to my animals. But they can't talk back. Well, not maybe not with a human voice, but they might also communicate with me. It's kind of horrible to think that animals cannot communicate at all. That's a bit weird. What about the fur? Sorry, what, what about the verb? In my kind of style, I tend to show a lot of exceptions. Is it also the case? So, like, creating possibilities for, the, for, like, for instance, my position to also be correct in addition to the other person. I found it interesting how I thought you were pulling in some more kind of theory or long, larger arguments about some of the topics that sounded very convincing, whereas you also at some point put in some personal information that's also very hard to to confront or to argue against. When someone really speaks about what she feels, there is something that then attacking this person would, would be really mean. Or the, yeah. it's, it's also, in a way, giving you some weight in the debate. I know that in other situations, you have to be very careful about how much of your personal experience you bring in, and especially with men. Uh, in my experience, because they tend to like always be like, oh, you're exaggerating, or there's always an exception to it. And I felt Evelyn was very respectful in her arguments, and there was space for me to share my experience. Did you believe what you were saying? No, because I'm, I'm, I absolutely love animals, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have children, and I don't want any. And I really I was like, like yep. <laughs> we decided to um, each of us would go to observe someone else uh, in a situation where she was speaking publicly and trying to observe like uh, which kind of public speaker she was and then eventually give some feedback. Oh. Your presence allowed me some, some kind of stability or it, yeah, it certainly allowed me authority mm. to, take, to take some step into the conversation which was I also doing before but I think when you entered this this observation thing that I, I totally became aware of everything as, as it was clear in front of me. I think vulnerability and confidence are not the opposite. I think you, be, you make yourself vulnerable precisely when you are confident enough and you know that you don't have to fulfill the expectation of anybody, but you just you are who you are and you don't have to pretend you are someone else just to please the audience. For me, it was not so much about confidence, but also about awareness maybe on the first hand I think what what we really did was to become first of all aware, aware of our own bodies yeah being placed in a public semi-public situation and then from that point of view or like this real, realization uh, we be, we became kind of active I think what you're resisting in that idea of like oh we attained confidence is actually just that uh, that's like tied up with a masculine model of speech and listening that like not necessarily but that's kind of what you're resisting I think um, 
And that was definitely something that was just not even on our agenda. We didn't want to emulate the TED talk, you know. Our proposition is that through working in small groups and affirming the technique for speaking that arise in a concentrated space, the relation between the public and the private self is restructured and with it, what we value in public speech. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence, a research project of the Institute Art, Gender and Nature, FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit detank.ch. That's detank.ch. Or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.htk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.htk at fhnw.ch. Moderated and curated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Editing and voiceover, Elena Cesar. Music, Niklas Kammermeier. Research team, Marion Ritzmann, Tabea Rotfuchs and Alice Wilke. Press and communication, Anna Franke and Sarina Scheidegger. Technical support by Karin Bohrer, Chris Handberg, Esther Hunziger and Konrad Siegel. Copyright by Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW 2022.